0: Well, do come with me tonight to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes chapter 11, we're going to read chapter 11 together and the last bit of chapter 12, and then Nigel will read the little section in between whenever he comes to preach on this. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning to read from verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, For after many days, you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight. For you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. For as you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the Maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands be idle, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth follow all the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Then come with me to verse 9 of chapter 12. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Amen.
1: Well, as uh, John said, please do turn with us to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This has been a a tremendously uh, instructive part of the Scriptures. And as you're turning it up, let me again recommend to you uh, David Gibson's little book published by IVP called Destiny uh, about uh, 12 or 13 chapters there that take us through uh, this book of Ecclesiastes. We've leant on it very, very heavily. For the last three or four chapters alone, it's just so worth it. It's just a, a fantastic uh, treatment of this book and really, really helpful. Uh, we are going to try and wrap up Ecclesiastes tonight. Um, and uh, I uh, think that this book has, has certainly uh, forced us to think in ways that perhaps we wouldn't naturally think. It's part of the reason that it's so important just to be here, isn't it, uh, under the sound of God's word? Because uh, if we uh, uh, think about God uh, just using our own reason or our own sort of intuition or hunches, we're liable to get things wrong. And we need God to to speak to us and to tell us things about Himself that we would not otherwise know. Uh, and uh, tell us about ourselves in ways that we would not otherwise know as well. So really important. And if we're to ask the question uh, how we should live our lives, then Ecclesiastes has certainly got to factor into how we answer that question because it it is very much a a book that seeks to address that issue. How do we live? Uh, How should we live wisely in this world? Uh, And just before we jump into these last couple of chapters... Uh, We're going to recap just a little about about what we've seen. So, we we think that the teacher is Solomon, uh, and he is surveying how we uh, should approach this mysterious life, this mystery of life. All sorts of blind alleys that we could go down as we seek to find its key. Uh, Wisdom, uh, knowledge, pleasure, wealth, fame, not things that are necessarily bad in themselves, but are, are not sufficient by themselves. And they are the sorts of things that people tend to look to today. And that when we see people who have them, we're tended to go, oh, that's really living. They've really made it. They've really got to the top of the pile. And yet Solomon has experienced not just a few of these things, but really all of them. And he knows that the, the key to life, the answer to how to live life, does not lie down any of these paths. And the reason that it does not is because of this little a phrase that he opens the book with. The NIV has meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at what he, at which he toils under the sun? And we've said that that's not the best translation of that word. It's best translated perhaps vapor or smoke. So, so life is like a wisp of smoke that quickly passes. And Ecclesiastes is telling us that life passes quickly. It's just a vapor. We're a mist And the reality of the fleeting nature of life, and its ephemeral sort of nature, drives a coach and horses through any attempt to see these things, these other things, as the key to life. Because, as he says at the beginning of the book, what does man gain for his labor uh, that he has labored for under the sun? What is there to show for it all at the end of the day? So even if we've been successful in some or all of these things, we will die and we will be forgotten. Ecclesiastes points that out to us very uh, abruptly. It's a wake-up call for us. What's the point of it all if it ends in the grave? But rather, and this is where we wouldn't naturally go this way, rather than lament that fact or try to ignore that fact, in a very real sense, this book is saying to us the key to living well in this life is facing up to that fact so that we might live well with the time that we have. We are a mist, but we can be a happy mist. I don't know if you feel like a happy mist tonight. Uh, and we can be happy even that we are a mist. It is the case, as Ecclesiastes remind us, that we will die and be forgotten. There might be a blue plaque put up on the house in which we live. Probably not. But even if there is, most people will soon walk past it, In the future, they will know nothing about us. And that's okay, because we're not here to to make a name for ourselves. We're here to know God and to enjoy Him and the good things that He has given us in this life. And in the sense that the last couple of chapters and especially the last one, has the the sort of the punchline of the book, uh, the answer that Solomon gives us to his quest. He really keeps us in suspense all the way through. And, And we see it in the closing remarks in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So our whole lives, Solomon is saying, are to be lived in relation to God and in relation to who we are in relation to him. And the key thing in this is that we are creatures and that he is the creator. There's a a huge distinction that, that runs through all that there is. It is the big distinction within all that there is Uh, you see chapter 12 verse 1 says remember your creator in the day of your youth Uh, so this is one of the most important things that there is about us that we've been made by god he's the creator and we are creatures so if you want to to draw a diagram of, of what there is within this world this is it there is creator the creator and everything else is his creation us. Uh, and, and as we read the Bible's story, we, we know that, that relating properly to this Creator is, is only possible, of course, through Him giving us His Son to be our Savior. That's part of what it means to fear Him, part of what it means to obey Him. We can't have a, a proper relationship with God without Jesus Christ. But in this, knowing that we are creatures— is hugely important. One, one writer has said that a doctrine of creation is the wellspring of a life well lived. It's a lovely phrase. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the foundation of a life well lived. We, we, we've got to know that we are creatures before the Creator. And we know that the, the doctrine of creation is, is hugely under attack in, in our day, our lifetimes. But it is absolutely crucial to understanding who we are and what we're here for. There's a, a reason the ancient Apostles' Creed begins with, uh, "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth." It's just basic to who we are, and, and lots of people today see themselves as, as, as uh, not as creatures made by. A loving and personal God, but rather as some sort of cosmic accident. I, I caught a little bit of David Attenborough this afternoon on the television. The, the, at points, my, my mouth was open. The, the camera work was so fantastic. There were orcas hunting seals off Shetland. It was just amazing. And and, and, uh, and yet, the underlying message of all of this is that while this is wonderful, well, it's just an accident. And you see, we cannot find purpose to our life if we are just accidents we cannot find meaning to our life if we're just accidents and, and what's going on in our world today is that uh, we are entirely unsuited to bringing our own meaning into our lives and so everything so falls apart it's a bit like being given a toaster as a wedding present and throwing away the instruction manual and saying that will do really really well to keep my goldfish in and it, it doesn't work very well, and it goes through a lot of goldfish. And, and one of the problems is that we're really messed up as people because we don't believe that we're creatures. So, so the key to, to relating appropriately to, to God is to relate to Him as our Creator. And, and whenever we do that, a whole host of things follow, and we're going to just pick up three of them. Uh, here today. There, there are particularly uh, two implications and then one sort of a uh, 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 call to action. So so the first thing is that if, if we really believe that we're creatures before an almighty creator, a sovereign, good creator as God is, then the first thing is we can get on with living our lives. We can get on with living our lives. That's chapter 11, the first six verses. Cast your bread upon the waters and you may find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If the tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And you do not know the where the spirit comes to the bones of the women in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything in the morning sow your seed and the evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that or whether both alike will be good let 's just think through some of these verses, casting our bread on the waters. Great phrase, but not very many people seem to know what it means. It, it might be probably a, a, a reference to maritime trade, to send out your goods upon the waters, uh, and sometime you'll get a return. They'll come back eventually. It, it may be a call to generosity. Some of the old Christian and Jewish commentators understood it that way. Generosity seems to be behind the idea of verse 2, giving out portions. So if you're generous now, if if life takes a bad turn against you, then perhaps it will be helpful for you in the future. But whatever these pictures are saying, you can see the underlying reality of what's being said, and that is that life is uncertain. You don't know what disaster will happen. You, You can expect certain things. There's a a certain predictability to life, but there's always that element of uncertainty. How do you live in a world like that? Well, actually, you can live very well in a world like that. That's the idea behind uh, verse 3, that that, that there are things you can reasonably predict, that if there are clouds, that that they're going to drop the rain on the earth. You can plan for that. You can bring your brolly. But there's an unpredictability as to what way the tree's going to fall in the forest. And that's life things that you can expect and things that are unpredictable. Chapter 9, verse 11 says, Time and chance happen to all men. Now, you see, you think about this, the fact that life is both predictable and Unpredictable. Well, you've got a couple of options there. One is that you can be so overcome with the fact that life is unpredictable that you can be paralyzed. That seems to be what's happening in verse 4. The guy who just stands looking at the clouds and the wind, he says, I don't understand what's going on. There's no way I can do anything. I can't sow my seeds today because I have no idea if, if the rain's going to come tomorrow or not. And so he does nothing. He's got nothing to show for it. Or it might be possible to think that life's just... Incredibly predictable. If I do A, B will follow, and then you get arrogantly confident. But as the teacher reminds us, there's so much we don't know. We don't understand the wind. We don't know understand, particularly how babies are formed. There's a there's a certain miraculousness about it, isn't there? And and so God knows these things, and the teacher is saying, don't don't try to be as wise as God. You're not. But there is a way to live our lives, and verse 8 gives us that. We're to get on with living, not not paralyzed by fear because we can't trust, because we can trust God, and yet not arrogantly confident of ourselves because we think we know exactly what's going to happen, because God is God. And, And so there's a sort of a humble expectation set up here. We live in a predictable world where effort matters, sow your seeds. But it's a bit unpredictable, so sow the morning and evening. Work hard for your exams. Use the gifts that God has given you to the best of your ability. Apply yourself. Invest wisely. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Look after yourself. But at the same time, know that you're in the hands of an almighty God who may have other plans for you. You may. I know somebody who who, uh, really thought that, that there was a particular university course that they were to apply for. And uh, they filled in the form. It was, it was, this was what they wanted. They went to the interview for this form, and the first question they were asked is, can you explain why your application came in to us two days later? It had been posted weeks earlier. There's an unpredictability, isn't there? And yet we can trust the Lord in that because there's a, a sovereign God. So because we are relating as creatures to this sovereign creator, we can get on with living our lives. And then the second thing we can do is we can get on with enjoying our lives. Chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk on the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away the pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now this is a section that's all talking about how, how good life is. That there's joy to be found in life. Verse 7. Light is sweet. It's it's, it's saying you you go out and you look around. Look at at what you've been given. And uh, there's a command to find joy here. Even if we've been around a little bit. Verse 8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. If you live many years, you're to rejoice. We're not to become... The path of our life is not an inevitable descent into a a, a lookalike to Victor Meldrew. Some of us make that our aim, don't we? We're to obey the command to find joy. And there's a command to find joy in youth. In many ways, Ecclesiastes is a young person's book. It's an old person, Solomon, we presume, who's been there and done that. He's coming alongside... The, the, the youth group, and he's saying, listen, here's what I've learned. And verse 9, you see, could really be sort of, you know, follow your heart, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. It's it's saying, do what your heart desires. If you've got goals and ambitions, good. Go for it. Don't sit back. Life's for living. John, I think, quoted this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to quote uh, the, the little passage from David Gibson's book as he talks about this. It's beautiful. Ride a bike, see the Grand Canyon, go to the theater, learn to make music, visit the sick Care for the dying, cook a meal, feed the hungry, watch a film, read a book, laugh with some friends till you cry, play football, run a marathon, snorkel in the ocean, listen to Mozart, ring your parents, write a letter, play with your kids, spend your money, learn a language, plant a church, start a school, speak about Christ, travel to somewhere you've never been, adopt a child, give away your fortune, and then some shape someone else's life by laying down your own. Don't just watch YouTube all day. It's affirming that that life is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Sometimes older folk, I was somewhere today where where this happens, sometimes older folk uh, look at the younger folk and say, isn't it great to be young? This is sort of saying this too. There's a blessing in youth. Young people, live your life with all your might. God has given you your life. But then notice that it says, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Now, this could be two things. It could be saying, don't forget you're accountable. Not everything you set your heart on is good. There are some hedges. Don't fall your heart into sin, for example. But the space between the hedges is hugely generous, isn't it? Do whatever your heart leads you within the hedges. It might be saying that. But it might also be saying that we should rejoice and achieve things with our lives and that God will hold us accountable for that, even for finding the joy in our lives. It's the parable of the talents, isn't it? Look at what God has given you. Now do something with it because, because one day you're going to stand before God and, and, and He'll say, well, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? That's a thought, isn't it? Some of us just think about judgment as, well, did you stay away from this? Did you stay away from that? Did you, did you avoid that? But it's also about potential joy ignored. He's given you a life to enjoy and people to enjoy it with. And, and, and note that the command to enjoy life and then the, the little postscript to obey his commands in chapter 12 and verse 13. Those things are not at odds. You know, we, we sometimes put those against each other, don't we? Maybe sometimes whenever we're young, especially sometimes I hear people who are, who are not yet Christians and, and they, they say things like, I know I will become a Christian someday, but I'm going to enjoy myself first. As if to, to step into a, a faith in Christ, as it were, is, is to enter a restricted life. But those who have come to know Christ and treasure Christ have found just the opposite, haven't we? They've found with John that, that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. They've found with the psalmist that, that his word is a light to our past, that, that, that his word is, is, is sweeter than, than honey. So, so get on, therefore, because we... Live before this creator God, and we are his creatures. Get on with enjoying life. And that means grabbing hold of your God-given ambitions, following him, obeying him as you do so. And then the third thing is, and this is the sort of encouragement to to think about our time here, and that is to, to do it while we can to live our lives and to enjoy our lives while we can. Here's the bit that we didn't read. It's chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 8. I'll read it from the, uh, the ESV. "'Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain.'" In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way, the almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the street before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanities. So you see, this is saying to us, lay hold of life, not just while you are alive, while you have it, But before you're too old to do the things that you can do now, and in that sense, it's relevant to all of us, but especially to those of us who are younger, live your life full on with your hand in the hand of God because there might be times coming when you think, this life's just too hard because I'm nearly finished it. And the teacher, you see, looks at old age And he uses this illustration of a crumbling house. It's maybe not immediately obvious, but that's what we are turning into. There's a picture for us. This is going to get really cheery for a little while. We're turning into dilapidated stately homes. Some of us less stately than others. The keepers of the house tremble. What are they? Well, your one steady hand gets a shake. The strong men are bent, probably your legs. Used to carry us anywhere. And then there comes a time whenever you you really, a little bit of uneven ground, and and you you feel they're going to give way. The grinders cease because they are few. Grinders are your teeth. Used to spend ages cleaning my teeth, now I just put them in a glass with some sterodent. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. You know, they're, they're, the eyesight fails. You've got to hold your stuff at arm's length. You've got to get longer arms to read things. The doors in the street are shut. The hearing goes. You know, the grandchildren come to the door and they say, Granny, are you watching Coronation Street again? You say, yes, how did you know? And you say, well, we heard it when we came around the corner. So you don't hear the sound of the grinding. That might be a reference to to the chat of people or the songs. And we don't sleep well. We rise with the dawn chorus. And steps and stairs become a challenge. We're afraid of what is high. Isn't that right? The almond tree blossoms. The almond tree blossomed with white flowers. So our once luscious locks are silver and fine if they're there at all and the grasshopper drags itself along i remember spending many happy sunny afternoons catching grasshoppers in a matchbox i bet there's very few people under 30 who've done that the thing about grasshoppers is you've got to sit really still and listen for them and try they're all camouflaged in the grass And, and and they're so springy you're just about to close in on one and and boing off it goes and it's away somewhere else And if you find one dragging itself along, it's because you've sat on it. And it's not long for this world. And I used to be springy, like those grasshoppers. Now, if I drop something, I think, is that worth picking up? (laughs) Desire feels. It's probably a reference to libido. But desire generally, you know, somebody phones you up and says, Well, you want to come out for a coffee? And you go, oh, No, I'll just I'll just stay here, thanks. And you see what's happening, that the body is failing gradually. The silver cord is broken, it's probably holding this broken this golden bowl, and then it breaks. Picture breaks this picture of a a, a a precious thing held by a narrow thread. It breaks and, and Why is that? Because we're going to an eternal home. And you say, okay, I'm going to an eternal home. Well, it was pretty bleak up until now, but tell me about this eternal home. What happens in my eternal home? Well, you get a new body in your eternal home. Oh, really? That's great then, isn't it? Will I be springy again? Oh, yes, you'll be springy again. Far better. So it's okay to have a failing body because this body's just for now and we need a new one for there because it's going to be so great but but the point of all of this you see is that we are to enjoy life while we have the strength to do it i remember preparing some of this and then having to go out to get into the car this week and it was raining And I'd been reading this and I I lifted my face to the rain and felt the sensation of of the rain on my face because I thought, Ecclesiastes tells me there'll be a day when I can probably only look out through the window at this rain and I'd love to feel it on my face. And young people, some of the older people in your life, they can't do some of the things that you can do And they would love to sit with you and tell you about the times that they rode horses and climbed mountains and danced till dawn and other things that they shouldn't have done. And they'll listen to you tell your story about some of the things you want to do and they'll say, that's great. And here's something else. The life that we're living now, when we're young, is, is like a bed. It's like making a, a bed that we're going to have to lie in whenever we're old. It's like painting a series of, of, of paintings that we're going to have to hang in a gallery that we will wander up and down in our minds. And so the question is, what are we stuffing our mattresses with? What are we painting on our pictures? Because you see, Ecclesiastes would tell us that joy and and, and obedience those are great pictures to paint And, and generosity that's a great picture to paint and you know what makes an incredibly uncomfortable mattress in the future sin it's 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 really hard to lie on shame and regret and that's why solomon gets to the end he says you know what fear god and obey his commands And then your bed will be comfy. And your pictures will be good. And your old age will be better than it would have been had you gone another way. David Gibson keeps on saying to his boys, enjoy this. Enjoy this because it won't last forever. So you see, what the teacher is saying to us, he's saying, we're, we're, we're just we're just passing through we're, we're, we're mists, but we can be we can be happy mists. we're creatures of the Creator and we're children of the king and he's given us so much so enjoy what he has given you live thankful lives and know that 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 he must be right at the center of your life for for joy to be even worthy of its name there's no other way but know that you were made for him and it's in fearing him and obeying him that your heart will really sing so let's pray